I just want to thank John and Colleen for leading us in prayer this morning. And that was just a really wonderful time. And it's great to hear the heart of other people for the Lord and for his people. So uh, just really encouraged with that time. And I just want to also take this opportunity to welcome any visitors here this morning. We're glad you could join us. It is Australia. Well, it was Australia Day yesterday, technically, but it's officially on Monday. Is that right? Or we observe it on Monday. Officially yesterday, we observe it on Monday. So, um, happy Australia Day. And, uh, yeah, so visitors, we, we just trust your time with us. This morning will be one of great blessing. And uh, you will meet with Jesus Christ this morning, and I'm sure you have already, through the time around um, when you can worship the Lord's table. And I hope they're around his word this morning. And, uh, and I just want to... Thank you for those who've been praying for Milani and myself and our family. We had a difficult time this week and uh, uh, with a family member, and I uh, just want to really thank you for your prayers. And the Lord has definitely heard all those pray prayers flooding in, and um, and I appreciate it. And uh, our niece is on the knees, so thank you very much. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12. Well, that should be 16, sorry, but... Uh, uh, Anyway, I'm not the only one who gets it wrong. <laughs> I'm glad there's other humans in here. The reason why I picked this up, as you know, a few months ago I've been going through the book of Philippines and I've kind of taken a break. But somebody phoned me this week to encourage me from this passage. I thank that person. Um... The point the Apostle makes in the, in the letter to the believers at Philippi is one point that covers the whole book. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Therefore, everything else in this epistle, and might I add in all of Scripture, is subjected to that one point. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But this being true, we must subject all things in the Christian life to that very point. Life doesn't begin with mankind, nor does it end with mankind, nor is it ultimately sustained by mankind. You get that? In other words, humanity has no bearing on creation and end time and everything in between. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So Jesus used a literary device called inclusio, which is meant to allude the reader to the fact that everything from the beginning to the end is inclusive. Just another way of saying everything. Therefore, Jesus is not only King of kings and Lord of lords of the beginning and the end, but he is Lord of all things. He reigns and he rules in every area of our lives. Therefore, when people speak as though humanity will determine the coming of our Lord, or when people speak as though humanity is in control and will determine its fate. Us Christians can speak up 
And we can say, no, Jesus is the Alpha. Jesus is the Omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end and everything else in between. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we come this morning and every other morning, we must come with that guiding thought that Christ is our life and nothing else will suffice. Let me ask you this question. When I say to you, no pain, no gain, what thoughts are conjured up in your mind? No pain, no gain. For me, it reminds me of a person who would spend all day at the gym, seven days a week, and when they were asked, what gains have you recorded from spending all that time in the gym? I replied, none. But why, when you spend seven days a week there? They said, I work behind the desk. (laughs) For many in the Christian community, it's very similar. Christians are those people who should be, by default, spending seven days a week, 24 hours a day in the gym of the Christian life. And yet there is none, sometimes a very little gain recorded. Some Christians are satisfied with the basics of faith, but they never really venture beyond that. They are content to splash around in the shallows of Christian doctrine that when challenged with the deeper truths about our triune God, they feel as though they're drowning. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been confronted with deeper truths about God, deeper doctrines of the faith that you feel as though you're drowning? You know, the first thing a person will do in response is to say, that's not true. Or, that's just way over my head. Keep it simple. And that's really the same response a person feels when they're drowning. The water is way over their head. But the Bible teaches us that our Lord is a rescuer of his people. And yet one can't be rescued if they're splashing in the shallows. Instead of drowning in the depths of deep What can we do to keep ourselves afloat in the depth of deep truths about our triune God? We might want to consider a text like Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And the text follows on from the apostles' onslaught of those who would pronounce a false gospel. And he warns the Christians at Philippi to beware and to be on guard against such people. He then makes it clear that all things compared to Christ are to be considered as rubbish. All things compared to Christ are just rubbish. Sadly, those who splash in the shallows of the Christian faith 
tend to be consumed by the rubbish and not by Christ. So how do we avoid this? How do we ensure we are in the depths of Christian doctrine and why should it matter? Well, if you remember, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned under Roman guard and unsure of the outcome. He was unsure if he would continue to live for Christ or that he would die for gain. And you might ask, what gave him comfort? What gave him hope? What gave him strength during these difficult times? His knowledge of Christ, which he alludes to in chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing who? For whom I have suffered, suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. What is it that he might suffer? The loss of all things including, if it should be the case, even his life. Why? To gain Christ. What is it that gives us comfort? What is it that gives us hope? What is it that gives us strength during difficult times? The knowledge we have of it's knowing Christ like a child knows its father. So that when difficult times appear, the child knows its father is there to help. It knows its father is big and he's strong and he's mighty and he can do all things. He can deal with In five verses, the Apostle Paul uses repetitive language to make the same point. He writes, let's see if you can pick up the repetition in this. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid Hold up by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. You notice the repetition? You pick out some repeated words, phrases. 
Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. But I press on, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as are perfect. The Apostle Paul uses repetition to help the reader understand that although the Christian has attained salvation through the perfected work of our triune God, they have not yet obtained it in the fullest measure. Therefore, press on. And we want to consider Romans 8, chapter 28. Uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. There's no chapter 28. <laughs> Paul writing to the church there said and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called and these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So what we see here is what many call the golden chain of salvation. You can see why. And we're familiar with verse 28, aren't we? It's one of those scriptures that we hang on our hearts when we're going through trials or, or any type of suffering. And we often interpret this to mean that even though we're suffering, God will work it out for our good. And so that person in our lives who is treating us unkindly or that illness that we've attracted which is causing us pain or whatever the dilemma is, God will turn it around for our good and we leave it there. There's more to it. we consider the context we would begin to see something a lot deeper than that and the question we might want to ask for clarity is what is the all things and some will say all things is all things and in some cases that's very true However, as we know, context is, is important when determining what the all things is. So as we examine the context, we realize there are specific features about it relating to what? Salvation. Therefore, we have to conclude, based on the context, that the all things refer specifically to salvation. And we know that God causes all things, specifically these things, to follow, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Verse 29, because those whom he foreknew. And we considered that word last week and the week before. And so those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called and these whom he called he also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified 
So the golden chain begins with foreknowledge, then predestination, then one is called, then justified, and finally glorified. So out of the five links, which one has not been obtained yet? Glorification. Yes, I'm blind. You guys don't look glorified to me. (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) So when the Apostle Paul pins his letter to the church at Philippi and says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, we ask what he meant by that, so we must look back to verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, he hadn't obtained the state of glorification because that is what happens to a resurrected believer at the second coming of Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise. And so the Apostle Paul humbly states that despite his knowledge of Christ, despite his huge effort for the sake of the gospel, he considered himself to have not reached the golden. Why should it matter? You know, in my observation, people who feel as though they've reached the goal tend to become complacent. Dare I say lazy, smug, self-satisfied and disinterested in the things of the Lord. And they tend to be, they tend to more often than is necessary, struggle to comprehend their sufferings and trials in light of the sovereign hand of our God. And sometimes their lives are similar to that of the hare and the tortoise. They believe like the hare that the prize is already theirs. And so they act smug and coast along without exerting too much effort. The tortoise, however, displays much humility. He plods along knowing the odds are stacked against him, knowing the spectators have no faith in his ability compared to the hare and bearing the weight of that heavy shell on his back with his mind fixed on the goal of the prize at the finish line. The hare, however, is devastated to learn that his pride, his ego, his trust in his abilities, his poor judgment of the tortoise had backfired. The tortoise, however, pushed through, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, he pressed on toward the prize. You know, when the Bible speaks of the follower of Christ, it never likens us to the hare, but to the tortoise. Brothers and sisters, it matters because we have not reached the state of glorification yet. We have not even hit the grave. It matters because it means if you and I are still sucking in oxygen, there is still work to be done. If we're still opening our eyes every morning, no matter how hard it is, 
it means we have not yet been perfected. That word perfected can also mean mature. And often Christians tend to believe that because they've been born again for more than 10 years, they're mature. Or some think that if they're in their senior years, then they also qualify as mature. And then some will believe because they hold a particular position in the church or lead a particular ministry or have a particular qualification, they too are mature. And yet it has nothing to do with the number of years one has been a Christian. And it has nothing to do with the age of a person, nor does it have anything to do with a position or even a qualification. You see, maturity begins with humility. It begins with humility, and in humility, one must have the attitude that one is not yet mature or perfected. Therefore, there is still work to be done that takes humility to acknowledge you haven't reached there yet, to acknowledge that you're probably not mature. Humility. And you know, one can tell the difference between those who are more mature than those who are less mature. Let me tell you, it stands out a mile. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 will be helpful. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now you understand my job description. It's to pastor and to teach alongside the elders who are also to pastor or shepherd the flock and to teach. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Why? As a result, we are no longer to be children. That's why, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but instead, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in all respects into him who is the, the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Folks, you can tell an immature Christian by their speech. In verse 14, we read, we are no longer, oh, sorry, no longer what? Children. We are no longer to be children. That word children, nepios, means not able to talk. It's a different word that you would normally use in the Greek. This is nepios, and it means that you're not able to talk. And it refers to an infant who hasn't learnt the art of speech. Instead, all they can do is say, goo goo gaga. No, seriously. 
And that tends to be the case for the immature person that are unable to converse. But you have to understand that this isn't referring to, to physical language or physical speech. This is spiritual. This is spiritual inspired in our hearts by the Lord and you just can't help yourself but talk about Him. And so the immature person is unable to talk about the Lord because they're being tossed by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. They get caught in the rip of trends of popularity and smooth appealing false gospels. And you know what a rip is? It's that smooth, calm patch of water on the beach that appears to be the easiest and calmest and safest area to swim, but it's deceptive. And the immature Christian falls for the smooth, calm, easy winds of doctrine like the inexperienced swimmer falls for the smooth, calm patch of water on the beach. And together they're carried off. However, the experienced swimmer avoids the rips on the beach. Why? Because they have knowledge. They know. Just as the mature Christian has knowledge about their triune God and therefore they steer clear of the smooth, easy, man-centered gospel. Therefore, verse 13, the immature Christian has none or very little knowledge about Christ and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, that word knowledge is epignosis. Epignosis, and it refers to a deeper, more thorough knowledge which leads to a deeper, more thorough relationship. And so the immature person is unable to communicate deeper with regards to the Lord because they don't have a deeper knowledge of Him. And so when an immature person talks about things pertaining to the Christian life, they will tend to struggle to see the hand of a, of a sovereign God in the midst of all things pertaining to life and will often view Him as being far off. or preoccupied, or even unable to achieve any glory through suffering, or even worse, unable to achieve anything without the help and the effort of the people that he saved who they couldn't save themselves in the first place. Crazy to think that God needs our help to help him. <laughs> The sovereign God of the universe who created everything by the mouth of his word needs our help. Is he that small? Is he that weak? That he's not powerful enough to do it on his own, in his own might, in his own strength. We sang that this morning. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. And the immature person, when they run out of things to say about Christ, tend to talk either about 
others or about themselves. They can run out of things to say about Jesus. <laughs> and around for fellowship with us one day and you just go on. I'm sure you could too. So the immature person will tend to see the church also. <clears throat> as a means to meet their needs, a place where they go to be served. But verse 12 teaches us that the saints, that's you and that's me, we are saints. I believe the Catholics, believe the Bible, we are saints being set apart by God for his glory and our joy. We may not look like saints, but trust me, the word says we are saints. So verse 12 teaches us that the saints, that you and me, are equipped for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, which is just another way of saying church. And so if you don't have a very good excuse and you're not serving in the church or you aren't sure where it is you should be serving, then you need to speak to me or one of the elders. We're here to help you. We're here to equip you. We're here to ensure that you are playing your part in building up the body of Christ, the church. You know, folks, this is not a consumerism church where people come to try before they buy. This is the Lord's church. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. We are just part of it. It is his church. The way we treat the church really just, it's sad, but that's how much we think of our Lord. Because it's his church. We love the church because we love him. And you will never love the church the right way until you can love him the right way. You know, Jesus said that uh, in the Gospels, if anyone loves his mother, father, or brother, or sister, or any family member more than he loves me, he is unworthy of me. Interesting, lots of people get stuck on that because they think they have to go away and hate their family. I know that will contradict the rest of Scripture. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, all your mind, soul and strength, with everything basically, everything. And then the other is like it, to not love your neighbour as yourself. Who's your neighbour? Well, immediately the person sitting next to you. When you get home, it's the person that sitting with you at the table, the person you kiss goodnight. It's all people. You will never be able to love them until you get that first command right, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Jesus said, you are, you're not worthy of me if you love your mother, father, brother or sister more than you love me. He wasn't saying go home and hate them. What he was saying was actually, you will never love them right until you love me right. You will never have the right love for your family until you have the right love for me. You will never be able to lay down your life for your family until you know what it means to lay down your life for me. 
You'll be afraid to share the gospel with your family because you don't love me. That's where it begins, folks. Do you love him? Do you love him with all your heart? Will you lay your life down for him? Will you follow him? Will you deny yourself? Will you take up your cross? That's what he means, folks. That's the kind of love that's required to be a follower of Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready to follow him? That's what it means to love him. When you get that right, you get this right. You realize this doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. You realize that everything we do in here, we're doing for his glory because we love him. Not for my glory. Not because it makes me feel good. Because I know a million things that will make me feel good. Because of him. Are you with me? That's how a mature person thinks in the Lord. This is his church. Not ours. You may have paid for it out of your money. But who gave you the job? Who gave you the money? He did. You prayed for it. And he gave it. All things come from him. Alpha and Omega. Everything. Amen. So if you don't have a very good excuse, and you're not serving in the church, I know some of you have got good excuses. Some of you have. Come and see me. See John, see Stuart, see Bev. Church needs you. Build up. So there's plenty for the Lord's people to do, folks. You know, there are too many Christians satisfied with eating baby food. I watched my granddaughter eat baby food. I tell you what, she is actually getting sick of baby food. <laughs> she wants to eat some solid stuff, which is cool. She's only like 17 months. Doesn't help her grandmother there tries to feed it to her. While the mum's not looking. <laughs> but there are too many Christians buying into the idea that as long as we love each other, we'll be fine. Nothing wrong with loving each other. And yet the world, those who aren't Christians, believe the same thing. Therefore, we must seek to set ourselves apart from the world and we must get past. The God is love thing and we must go deeper. Because we have a God whose depth cannot be plumbed. <laughs> One of John Piper's recommended books to read is a book titled How to Read a Book. <laughs> if you don't know how to read a book, you should get this book. Very helpful. And it's written by a couple of guys, Adler Mortimer and Charles Van Doren. And in an interview I watched of these two guys, Mortimer and Van Doren, they discussed the importance of reading books beyond our level of comprehension. And they made the point that if one continues to read at a, at a comfortable level, they will certainly perfect that level. But that is as far as they will ever go. 
Sadly, many Christians are like that. Mortimer observed that too often people become unstuck because they find the level of reading too difficult. And therefore, they conclude that it can't be at all interesting. And he used the illustration of a person exercising and doing chin-ups. He said a person exercises to become stronger, to become fitter. But if they only do five chin-ups every day, they will they'll reach a level of strength and fitness equal to what? Five chin-ups a day. If a child reads a level five book every day for one year, that child's learning will not advance past Level five. Just like a Christian who has no desire to dig deeper and grasp more of the depth and difficulty of Scripture. A.W. Tozer in his book, God Tells the Man Who Cares, wrote, The Bible was written in tears, and to tears it will yield its best treasures. God has nothing to say to the frivolous man or the childish man. The Apostle Peter gives this advice to the believers he wrote to in his first epistle about how to be mature. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander, and you could keep adding to that list. Verse 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it you may what? If you have tasted, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, folks, you are here this morning. Have you not tasted the kindness of the Lord? Isn't it sweet? Sweeter than honey? Dripping from the honeycomb? More precious than gold? You've tasted and you know it is good. Taste and see. Doesn't the psalmist tell us that the Lord is good? Those newborn babies long for their mother's milk. It's their very life. Where to long for the word that we might grow and respect our salvation. Not that you're earning your salvation, but that you're understanding more deeper things about it. And if we expect to mature in the things of the Lord, we must dig deep. We must not get put off by biblical doctrines because we don't understand them. It's horrible. You just shut the book because you don't get it. That's not how you dig for treasure. You just keep going and going and going until you hit it. And we must never believe that we know enough and be satisfied with that. But we know enough about our Lord because we don't. He is too deep to fathom. We must dive and we must press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call 
of God found in Christ Jesus. We must be open to having our minds and our hearts challenged by the Lord's word. You know, I just, you know, what happens when a, when a city is rocked by an earthquake, the buildings topple down, people rebuild. The word of God rocks your mind. I guarantee you, it's going to rebuild. It's going to rebuild. Our God is too good for us. So we must be guided by that one thought always. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do I learn about our triune God? And ask the, the band to come forward now. And how does this make me feel about him? And we just press, press, press on. Dive and dive and dive. Let's challenge ourselves and let's hunger and desire to be mature people in Christ. But do that with humility because we're never going to get there until we get there. We'll never be perfected until we get there. Trust that's been a help for you this morning. Like I said, if you want to be involved in ministry here, I'm going to speak to myself or John or Stuart. We would gladly help you. I know that Bev's asking for help. She would gladly help you. And there's others too. Just my prayer is that the Lord would just speak into your hearts and give you a desire to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. For his glory, our joy, as we build the church and look forward to his coming. We're going to stand and we're going to sing our last song.